everybody, this is Cindy Fish. You are listening to the At His Feet podcast. I want to invite you today to set aside your whirlwind of busyness and mental to-do list to have a seat beside me at the feet of Jesus. Now let's pursue Him together. Thank you for listening. Hello, welcome to episode five of the podcast. Today, I'm excited because this will be the uh, first interview that I've gotten to do, and it's going to be really cool, and you'll really enjoy it. I think interviews on podcasts are my favorite episodes to listen to. I think it's because you just get to listen into uh, a more personal conversation than you usually do, and I really enjoy that. But uh, right now, we are in Sydney, Ohio, in Revival, and in two places, the church that we are at has multiple, um, I guess you would call it daughter work churches. And so we are here at this campus and then at another campus for the next two weeks. And uh, so far, so good, right? Uh, Both services yesterday, today's Monday when I record this, but both services yesterday were really powerful. And um, we really, just both campuses have been just great and And so we're really looking forward and expectant to what God's going to do here. But the interview that we're doing today, that you'll hear today, is actually from a couple of revivals ago. And it was when we were in Smithville, Tennessee, uh, with the Cornelius family, who I interview is Sister Heather Cornelius. And I'll kind of talk about why, why I wanted to talk with her and what made her really stick out to me. Something that I'm really intentional about in in my life now is it's kind of funny because we're not there a lot, but I just think it's so important for home to be cozy and safe and honestly just like a refuge for not only my family but for others. And I just always want it to just feel peaceful and um I could think of a lot of other words, but peaceful is what I want it to feel like. You know, the reason why is years ago, probably 2012, I was just in a really hard season and it was it was before marriage, you know, I'd been in church for maybe a year and a half and something about this season was just really hard for me. And God, I was reading one day and I just felt, you know, like God just highlighted and I don't know flash the scripture over and over that I could just really hold on to it that it was a promise and I want to share that with you and it was it was then it was a promise that I could have this and then now it's it's a reminder to me of what I want my home to be and and kind of what I always longed for and so the scripture is, it's two verses, Isaiah 32, 17 and 18, and I'll read the ESV, and it says this, and the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the re- result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation and secure dwellings and in quiet resting places. And I remember when it felt crazy in my world, I just rested on this promise and I just held this promise and I just knew that God was telling me that it would be for me and that 
when I lived righteous, which we read it, it's it's a really straightforward scripture. When I lived righteous, when I lived right, that that was for me and that could be for me. And, uh, you know, it's hard sometimes to explain things in the right way. I don't ever want to say something that would offend someone or um, make you, I don't know, um, make you think less of or, or anything like that. I don't know how to explain that. But I will carefully just explain, you know, the first five years of, of living for God, for me, that was the time that I was not married yet. I was I came in the church when I was 18. I've shared that before. And so it was it was really hard on me. It wasn't particularly hard because I wasn't married, uh, but it was hard because I didn't I didn't financially couldn't support myself on my own as far as living on my own, but I needed to. And so um, there was a lot of kind people that allowed me to live with them at different times and all of that. And I'm so thankful. But um, if you've ever lived with another family, you know that it's kind of a it's like a weird position to be in. And no matter how kind they are, you kind of feel out maybe out of place or, you know, it's just, I don't know, I won't, I won't go on there. But I, I remember that those five years were just really just kind of chaos for me. And I remember, I, I just, I moved from home to home. I lived with several different families. You know, certain relationships at that time in my own family were so strained that we weren't even in contact and if we were, it was just, it wasn't peaceful. It wasn't, it was an easy relationship. And, and some people maybe can't relate to that, but that is a lot of what I've known a lot of my life. Not for you to feel bad for me, but you know, there's something anyways. So, you know, something that I learned in all of this time of, of that chaos and, and not really, not feeling just secure, I guess, is that Jesus will be the firm foundation that I need and if I allow him to be, right? And allowing him doesn't mean action on his part because it's simply his nature and he changes not. But allowing him means action on my part, which that applies to anything. Allowing him to be God is action on our part saying, okay, God, I'll trust you. Okay, I, I allow you to do these things because we can we can mess that up if we don't just rest in him, if we don't just lean into him. In times of uncertainty and problem and you know in that time despite the uncertainty or shakiness in my home life there were just specifics in my walk with God that remained solid and I can only explain it like there was just crashing waves like I can just see a mental picture of it there was just crashing waves and chaos just all around me but I was still I was on solid flat ground while everything felt unwavering and even out of control at times. And because of that, because of that season, I have been intentional since day one of having my own home that it would be peaceful. There are things that my husband and I have just purposely kept out of our home and things that we have purposely put in it because we want it to be a refuge for us. And when we get home each time after after traveling all over it's so refreshing to come home and find rest. And in that scripture earlier, it said, My people shall live in peaceful habitations and quiet resting places. And I'm so thankful for that promise, especially when I look back. 
I'm so thankful to find it in my home now, and I, I take my job as being keeper of our home so seriously. You know, the keeper gets to set the tone for the atmosphere of their home. And now that I am keeper of my home, it's it's a little bit easier. But I should add that even if you're not, if you're in a time of life that you're not in control, maybe you can't set the tone of your home. I just, I should remind you that I have been there. And and what you can do is make your room, your your wherever you are, your room can be that safe place. Create peace in whatever place is under your control. And because of that season and because of that promise and, and something that I am so passionate about, which I'm sure we'll talk about one day, is um, setting the tone in our home and, and things that we can do. But when we travel and I notice someone that I think just really does things that I admire in that area, I always take notice. And there's so many women that we meet that do such a wonderful job at, at being a keeper of their home. And I love to learn from others in this area, but one that sticks out is Sister Heather Cornelius, who we'll hear from today. Her home is so inviting. It's beautifully decorated. She's thrifty, and she always seems to have a new project going. You know, the second time we went there, we've been there, I think, three times. The second time we went there, I think they had, like, almost a brand new kitchen. I know they did some minor changes and some major uh, they kept some things the same, but when we walked in, it looked like a brand new kitchen. It was absolutely beautiful. And then this third time we came, uh, they had a whole new pergola outside, and it was so nice. They had bought a kit, and they, they put it together, and they, they worked very hard, though, on it. And it was just so nice. So she always has something new going, and I love doing projects. So I really admire when someone puts that effort into their home, too. And she can cook. <laughs> like really cook, but mainly her home is peaceful and comfortable and it's a gathering place for so many. And I love that. We have never been there that she hasn't had a house full, whether her kids or other people's or whatever, which all her kids are grown, but still her house is such a meeting place. And I know it's been a refuge for many as they've opened up their home to others so many times, not just for dinner, but to live there. And we will talk about that today. And I just want you to be allowed to listen in as I pick her brain on just how exactly she has made it that way and the things that have made her who she is. Today I have Sister Heather Cornelius with me uh, from Smithville, Tennessee. We're in uh, revival here right now. And so I thought it would be a great opportunity to get to talk to her a little bit about Uh, different things that I have admired from her uh, through the different visits we've had here. And I'll go ahead and we'll just get started. Can you just introduce yourself and tell uh, the listeners just a little bit about you? Thank you, Cindy, for the opportunity um, to be a part of this. Um, I've never done this before, so we're just going to roll with it and see how we do. My name is Heather Cornelius, and I am 47 years old, and some days, uh, you know, we all feel like we're 74 instead of 47, but um, we just we just roll with life, and so I'm married to um, the love of my life, Dwayne Cornelius, um, 27 years now. It's hard to believe that life has taken us this fast um, with so many great memories. I have three beautiful children God has blessed me with, um, Alexis's. Uh, well, now she is 24, and Andrew 
is 22 and Logan is 19. So I have all grown children and they're all still my babies, but um, we love ministry. Um, I'm not sure how much I need to say at this point because um, I could talk for hours in detail about my family, but I am a pastor's wife um, until the day my husband fires me, which we I try daily and it just doesn't <laughs> ever seem to work, you know, but um, it's just a funny in our home how we just, but that's how I live. I live um, joking about things because if I don't, I think some days I would snap and I may not come back. <laughs> <laughs> but we do it all in humor. Um, I've been married, um, if, if that's what you want to know, I've been married um, in ministry since 1993. The day I decided to marry my husband was the day, um, well, he was called by God, and it was the day that I was chosen to accept his ministry. Um, so therefore, I am ministry. We first began, like many young married couples, we worked in our local assembly. We worked in the youth department or student department or um, however you want to call it. And we loved student ministry. We took our young minister, um, I'm sorry, our student department from, oh gosh, about 20 until eight years later. We were almost 60 students, 60, 70 students. Wow. Um, it was a great group. Um, lots of tears when we left uh, because God was pushing us out of the nest to do the next thing. Right. And that was a very scary place to be. But um, we did youth ministry, and I believe that every young married couple needs to do youth ministry at some point because that's the initiation of all time. That is, <laughs> if you can survive youth ministry, you've got a good thing going. You yeah. you can do it because that is the long, long nights, Um trips away from your family, away from church, um, away from your job, that things just develop in your life. And um, again, it can make you or break you, and you may, may never want to do youth ministry again, but I think everybody needs an opportunity to work in youth ministry because it's humbling, and it also helps you grow all at the same time. Right. I think I think it requires so much of you. You know, oh, young definitely. people, that just requires a whole lot of you. It's like getting all these kids at once, and they become yours all of a sudden. Yes. You become their mom. Because a lot of students that come into your life, a lot of youth that come into your life, um, they may not have parents that support them in church. You may, you may be the only ones that they connect with spiritually. And we can't take for granted that just because we're there doesn't mean that they have a perfect home or they have a safe environment that they come from. Um, there's a lot of church children that um, are perfect in such ways as they have a very great home, a sheltered home. Um, but there are a lot of hurts and things that you go through with these kids that you'll never forget. Right. And so every opportunity we can get to be with them is is rewarding. Yes. Um, Kenya, I know that y'all did youth ministry, and I know that now, um, currently, y'all are pastoring this great church here. But... Can you share some of the different hats that you've worn through the years? Uh, not exactly like a resume, but um, not from that sense, but just to say all the different ways that you've been stretched and the different opportunities that God's given you and the talents that you've been able to develop through those hats. Well, that's a, that's a big question because through our ministry, um, I guess I didn't recognize them as particulars or hats to be worn 
I just did them because that's what needed to be done at the time. Right. Um, and some of them I developed into different departments. But, of course, you know, we've all done uh, youth work, and I we've done Sunday school ministry. Uh, we've done bus ministry, um, hyphen leader, uh, ushers. We've just, we've participated in the choir, um, Easter assistant directors, um, singing team. You know, we've been over janitorial. We've been power, la- power hour leaders. Uh, We've catered events uh, now locally here. We've catered a lot of events for a lot of different um, things in our town here. And that's really opened up a new area of ministry itself um, because you get to mix and mingle with the people in your community because it's not a church event. Mm -hmm. It's a community event. And we've done a lot of different things here in our community, Um, Easter egg hunts here in our town. And because they get to come to our building, you know, our New Life Connection Center is named um, the Connection Center because we didn't want to call it New Life Family Life Center or because it's not just ours. Right. We share it and we want it to be a um, equal ground, might you say, for people to come not feeling like they're invading on our territory, yeah. but it's a connection with the community, and so it's called the Connection Center because we connect. Our daycare is called Kids Connection because we want to connect right. uh, with people. And so, you know, I've done things and event coordinator for these banquets and event coordinating for just different things in our community, wedding director, you know, whatever else needed to be done. I just do it because. I don't know what else to do. I, I mean, it has to be done, so I just do it. I'm the guinea pig, I think, for a lot of things that, that start. Um, but I'm also scared in a lot of those areas because I may not even know how to do them. Right. But I know it has to be done. So I've just said I'm just the guinea pig and I just do it. You know. So <laughs> if funny. I can make it through, anybody can. And it may not be something I want to do again, but at least I've said I've done it. And again, I have a hard time remembering specifics, but um, they're there, and I and I know that I've loved them all as I've come through, and they're all learning experiences. Right. I think that's great. Of if we could all get that mentality of seeing that something needs to be done and just doing it, the church wouldn't lack for anything, right? Yeah. Like if we right. see a need, we just even if we're not prepared, even if we feel not confident, just doing what we see needs to be done and and figuring it out even along the way sometimes uh great things can really come from that and y'all have done just a great job in this city of of being available and a help to y'all's community and and an example in y'all's community and that's really neat to see too i think yeah somebody yesterday seen um, my husband in walmart and he said Hey, preacher, are you the one on the big billboard out front? (laughs) And we just laughed and giggled because they're making eye contact with us. And a lot of people in this town calling preacher or their pastor, we don't even know who they are. Right. And so because maybe we've had an impact with them through a funeral, um, somebody distantly, or they participated in something that we were there, or we had, you know, we participate in Relay for Life, which is the cancer um, memorial that they put on here, fundraiser, and our choir or our praise team participates in um, in that, and, and they're there enjoying that at one time, and so it's, uh, 
So it's encouraging to know that people identify with the church. They know who we are. Um, We don't ever want to take that for granted. And we always use that statement, you know, who you are in the church is who we should be outside of the church because people are are watching and people do love how we are, that we are set apart. And so they appreciate that. They give us a, you know, respect for that. Something neat uh, along those lines is yesterday your husband was saying, Something about basically the benefit of being in a small town. This is a small town. How many people like? I believe there's like five or six thousand in in the city in the city in our range. Yeah. So, but there's like uh, eighteen thousand in the um, county. I right. believe. So he was saying the neat thing about being in a small city is y'all aren't limited by the size of your city, but y'all are actually. Um, you'll have the ability to be a part of the community and to be known. Yes. Whereas in a, in a bigger city, maybe sometimes, I think sometimes a church in a smaller city, they feel like maybe they don't have access to as much or mm-hmm. um, they, they, they can't have all the things that maybe a bigger church in a bigger right. city has, but y'all have done good at just being available to the community, and it has really grown y'all's church yes. by y'all being immersed in everything that they have going on. I know that before y'all have talked about being a part of y'all's city festivals and mm-hmm. events and, and really yeah. just getting involved in the city, and I think that mm-hmm. has made y'all We've so We've even had a uh, fall fest, uh, let's say, at our New Life Connection Center in the parking yeah. lot, and we have invited other churches to participate with us in, in singing and then um, showing, displaying their abilities and things. Right. And so it, it connects our churches together. And we branch over each other, and it, it just makes us stronger. You know, we don't, we're not judging um, anybody or nobody's judging us, and but we're in it together for the same purpose. You know, we live in a Bible Belt, and we've never lived in a Bible Belt. And yeah. a lot of people attend a church, but there's also a lot of people who are unchurched. Right. And they they don't go to church, so there is a, still a city to be won here. Yes, and even though we're in a small town, we're not far from a bigger town. But you know what? God's placed us here because if we had big town mentality, which we come from a very large city, big town mentality doesn't work in a small town. Right. We've got to change our thinking, um, and so that that's helped us along the way. Also, that's it's, good. Uh, talking about you know reaching your town. Uh, when, when people come in, y'all have a lot of visitors each service. And something that I have noticed through the different visits here is that, and that I have absolutely loved, is to watch you in the altar as far as altar working. I think that you have this way of connecting with people that not a lot of people do. So I just want to know, what is your number one tip for someone listening that wants to work altars, wants to be sincere, what what can they do to be effective in the altar? You know, this question, when you asked me, it kind of puzzled me because um, I guess I didn't realize that anyone would notice or it stood out that much. Um, let, me, let me back up a few years. Um, I was frustrated with myself, with who I was, what I've accomplished, what I thought I was in ministry, and just what was my personal journey in ministry? So I questioned and I picked God's brain. And of course, he didn't answer me like most of the time. I think he's want, he wants us to figure out what it is <laughs> so, so we can be more humble. 
So I began to search myself and I realized that everything that I involve myself in doing in the church, outside of the church, involved one common thing was people. Now as a child and through my teen years, I was I was pretty shy. I was uninvolved. Um, most of the time because of my personality, I felt like the underdog, like nobody wanted me, nobody wanted me around. Um, nobody wanted me in their little girl group. Um, I wasn't good enough. Um, I don't know. I just didn't meet their standard. And so I just felt like the underdog. So when I got married and I got into ministry, wow, my life changed significantly. I thought, I'm going to have to be this spiritual being that I'm going to have to float from point A to point B and be on this spiritual high like all the time. I didn't even know (laughs) life existed, you know, because I just had this big buildup in my brain of what of what ministry should be. Um, I'm going to have to like pray and fast four days a week, um, all day, all night, pray for the sick. That's what you do, right? (laughs) That's what we do, right? (laughs) Constantly be doing and doing for the Lord. You know, and soon I realized that, you know, life is still happening. Life's still there. So I had to come out of my shell quickly. Um, Back in the day, we agreed when we got married that he would preach, and at least I could sing. That was the deal. It was no further. That was the deal. I'm not preaching. I'm not. I'm not going to talk. I'm just. I'm going to sing. <laughs> if I can sing my testimony, I'll sing. I'm and not she even going to speak. Y'all. She can sing. <laughs> um, so over the course of ministry, now 27 years, I begin to realize that ministry is just people. And I know we're talking about altar working, but people is my ministry. You have to have a love for people to be able to work in the altar. You have to have a sensitivity to that love for people, um, to serve people. You know, we, we preserve people, we endorse people, we pray for people, and the list goes on. So altar working, I love the connection I feel with people during the altar. Um, I know how to tap in with people, might say, and it's not a special ability. I think we all have that ability. We just have to take that time to recognize and slow down and not be so aggressive with people on the altar. Like, oh, yeah. there's somebody I'm going to go lay my hands on. They're immediately going to speak in tongues. <laughs> because a lot of times if people come to the altar, they may not be seeking for the Holy Ghost. And so right. we have to be sensitive to who is entering. And, and most of the time I've already met that individual because, again, it goes back to meeting your people at church. Right. Our duty is to meet and greet. And pastor says when we leave a meeting of before every service, he'll say, now let's go be the church. What is the church? Uh, the church is reaching. The church is greeting those. Our job is a minister, minister's wife, is to get to try to get to every person in the building. Now it's hard now, you know, our church is running around 200. And so it's hard now. It's hard to get to everybody. I remember when we first came, I could make my rounds in five minutes and get to everybody in the sanctuary. Yeah. And pastor now will say, well, did you see so-and-so and and such and such? I said, oh my goodness, I missed him today. I didn't get to see him. I couldn't see him for all the people. And so, and that's a good thing. So connecting with people in the altar is to be sensitive to them. Um, First of all, you have to tap into their moment with God. You know, um, a lot of times we've come to altar worker seminars and I believe that's so very important for churches to have some altar working seminars because we may know how, but there are just little tips 
that they give during these seminars, and they've prayed hundreds and hundreds of people through to the Holy Ghost. Right. Um, and we may be just doing it differently and not and getting the same results, but maybe we could just tweak a few things that we could learn and gravitate on and be able to just get there quickly. So first of all, sometimes I've even stopped people while they pray and just asked them, what have you come to the altar for today? Have you come for a special thing that you want the Lord to work in your life? And sometimes they'll say, I just need prayer for my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And so my heart drops because I want them to receive the Holy Ghost. Right. You, know? you know what they need. And but. so, but that's, they're not going to receive it if right. they're not coming with that mindset. They may not have the knowledge of it. And so I may say, let's pray for your grandmother. Let's pray that God strengthen. So I'll get more details and we'll pray. But I also will stop and say, but because of your faith, that because you walked up here today, because of your faith, I believe that God wants to do something special for you today. So while we're praying for her, you just love God and you just let God do what he's going to do. And sometimes we get to the other side of what I want and sometimes... Um, the prayer just happens and sometimes they're done and that's okay. So we just have to be sensitive, you know, to people working for them. And one other thing that I've learned over the course of years is don't pray for them. Don't pray. God touch Cindy, Lord work in Cindy's life, um, meet her need, give her what she wants, but pray in their stead. Pray as if I was you. Pray mm-hmm. as if I had this big burden on me. Lord, touch me. God, forgive us. Uh, Lord, you see where I am. It, it may be dark in my life right now in this room that I'm in. I can't find you, God, but I know that you're there because I feel your presence. Right. So if I pray in that stead, sometimes that begins to open up wow, how did they know that I was in a dark room? Or how yeah. did I know that my life was lonely? Um, because I'm feeling them. I'm, I'm, I'm touching, I'm in tune with them to, to see how they feel. Um, and sometimes when you crack open those little reservoirs that they have, the tears begin to fall. Right. And that's how you connect with God. And then you begin to process and you walk into the next phase, into right. that prayer. So as long as you're not... Constantly, I'm not saying condemning them during their prayer, but revealing, Lord, forgive them. Because what if they feel like they don't have any sin in their life at the moment? Right. Well, you know, in that praying in their stead does two things. It's it's one, some people come and they don't know how to really talk to God. Mm-hmm. I know when I came to the church, I had never opened my mouth and talked to God. Mm-hmm. I talked to God through my thoughts, but I didn't know how to articulate what sure. I was feeling. So one, you're teaching them how to pray. And then two, you're saying, hey, it's not just you that has a need of God. I need God too. And uh, and so in, in both of you praying, all the spotlight is not on them. They don't feel that you're listening to them or anything because you're praying for you and you know and showing them how to pray. So that's so yeah. good to, to pray. Pray as if you were them. And just one other thing, you know, just be sensitive to others praying around you with that individual. Um, If you feel like maybe another person behind you is tapped into them, meaning they're on on to something, I can be quiet for just a minute and allow somebody else to to pray. Um, But also sometimes we can't be overpowering. We got to be sensitive to... Um, how many prayers are being prayed in their ear because they get overwhelmed. Like you yeah. said, they may not even know how to pray and they're going, 
I don't know how to pray by the, like this woman behind me, but this lady in my ear, wow, I like what she's saying. But so they get so confused. Right. And so sometimes I just gently maybe put my hand on somebody that is praying, you know, to maybe lessen, like, let's just slow down a little bit. Let's just, you know, let's take a moment here. Um, and it just helps because you don't want that individual to be overwhelmed with with prayer because, again, they may just be developing and they may be so overwhelmed with God's presence. I had a little boy, um, his mama brought him to the altar yesterday and she said, I want you to help me explain to him why he's crying. Every time we come to church, he cries. Mm-hmm. And he's he's probably seven or eight years old. And his name is CJ. And so I just said, CJ, I said, do you love the Lord? And he shook his head, yes. And I said, and you know that the Lord loves you. And I just talked to him for a moment. And I said, sometimes when we cry tears, it's not always sad tears. Mm -hmm. I said, it's okay to cry happy tears. I said, you know, sometimes when you get a new bike and you're so excited that you start crying because you're so overwhelmed with emotion, I said, Jesus loves you so much that I said, he's knocking on your heart and he's saying, CJ, I want to come in and I want to, I want to be a part of you. I said, so he's, he's tapping into his emotion to help him. And sometimes when children, that's why children are, get the Holy Ghost so easily because they're so emotional and they open those doors and they allow God to come in completely. So we just started praying and his little hands were just a trembling and I was showing Mama, that's not me. Yeah, that's the Lord, and He doesn't understand what He's feeling, but He's tapping into something. So I was just praying, and He didn't know really what to say. And I said, CJ, you just pray to Jesus like He's your best friend. You right. tell Him just what you want. Tell Him that you want Him in your heart and you want to love Him. And so he did, and he cried a little bit, and he prayed a little bit, and I just told him how proud I was. And his mama was just crying buckets next to yeah. me because. He, she's revealed, you know, she probably knew, but she probably maybe didn't understand maybe why he was crying so much. Maybe she thought it was something bigger, but it's really not. It's the simplicity of just loving the Lord and attaching yourself to that person and just telling him how proud he was. Now he didn't get the Holy Ghost yesterday, but that's the beginning. I said, CJ, when you come to church and you feel those tears coming. I said, I just want you to raise your hands. I said, cause you know, remember you've seen, you know, when a policeman says, um, sir, uh, hands up, you know, put your hands up. I said, do you know what that means? I said, that means to surrender means Mm -hmm. I give you all. And I said, that's what Jesus wants you to do. So when you identify real life to children, it helps them with their prayer life. It helps right. them identify what I'm feeling and wh- why we raise our hands. He may not know, understand why we raise our hands. It just right. means I give all to you, Jesus. I give it all. So is that was a sweet little moment we had yesterday. That's good. Um, and, you know, you said that altar working really just stems from your love for people. And I just want to ask you and talk about a little bit, you know, in the last little bit watching you... Uh, serve others and all of that. It's so obvious that your love for others is so real. Uh, you're a great cook and a great host. Of course, um, Taylor, y'all, this is Taylor's, one of his favorite, uh, favorite (laughs) places to come. They have a great church and all this stuff, but y'all, the food is so good. So Taylor, he comes and he would literally 
every service he's like, so Sister C, we come into your house, <laughs> come into your house for dinner. And uh, he, he loves it in that way. But I want to ask you, have you always loved to cook and serve? Because serving is a ministry for you. It's not just uh, something that you begrudgingly do, but it really stems from a love and it's so obvious. But when did that develop? And do you have any embarrassing like cooking stories from when you first learned? <laughs> because I think we all have some kind of embarrassing stories. At least I know I do. Maybe I learned it the hard way, but uh, I just want to ask you to share some of that. You know, Cindy, again, I believe um, my calling and it's all come to light in the last year, couple years, um, just what my focus of calling is. And I believe it's wrapped up into several of these um, items or bullet points that we're going to talk about today. Um, as a young child, I remember, and I could tell you, the stove, I could feel the stove on my hands. I can, I can literally go back in time. And I get, it's so vivid to me, standing next to my mom, at the stove and watching her close, watching her intently. And I can't tell you that a love for cooking was then because I don't think I knew. I just knew that it was very captivating for me. I so enjoyed watching her. Um, I didn't realize I was going to be serving others at this age of my life or being a hostess so much. My sister, um, we're five years apart. She would always be found outside under the hood of the car with my dad. Um, she was more of a tomboy. Um, I was more of a um, prissy little girl. Um, I had baby dolls, but I never played with my baby dolls. I always put them on my bed. I made my room every day, <laughs> cleaned my room, yeah. my sister's room. You couldn't walk in her room. So we're totally opposite. We fought like cats and dogs growing up. But um, it's funny, you know, how we are today because we're so close now but we were so different back then. Right. Um, we have almost a twin mentality to this day. It, it's kind of scary how much we think alike, how much we like things alike nowadays. But back in the day, Lordy mercy, we didn't. We did not even like the ground each other walked on. <laughs> I was more tolerable of her, but not yeah. her of me. Um, but she would be under the hood of the car, and I would be next to my mom in the kitchen. And what I didn't realize is I was being developed as a young child then. I think if we all think back, that's where it all starts as a young child. We right. just have to realize that. My mom gave me my first um, blank cookbook, little flip pages, and actually it stands up. Like you can flip the, the cover over and it makes like a little stand. Uh -huh. you know. And it that's is cool. so cute. Um, it's yellowed now. Of course, it was when I was 12 years old back in 1984. Um, I don't even know if you were born yet then. <laughs> no, no comment. Um, but I filled up every blank page in that little book with things that either my mama made or I tried in my teenage years, recipes that I loved as a child. I would jot them down. And it's so cute because I'll show you when we get back to the house, my handwriting changed. You can tell the different stages of my handwriting, like real slanted cursive to bubble writing <laughs> to the different stages of when we were. I can yeah. tell the recipes that I made because they have splatters on them, like oil spots on the cute. pages. Too and cute. that thing, I think I'll just be buried with that thing because it just, it 
my mom didn't know what she was doing then, but I think she knew what she was doing. Yeah. And I think she was trying to develop in me. Um, because my mom had a love for cooking. My mom has always been a wonderful cook. Um, my grandmother has always been a wonderful cook. And so I think it just stemmed from that. of having a love for that. You know, I'm a menu person. Um, a lot of my menu items, I have to have a menu every week. Not real detailed, just highlights. Like, we're going to have meatloaf one day, or we're going to have steaks on the grill one day. And then I just buy sides, And but I have to have my menu. You know, sometimes right. if we're out and about, um, my husband will say, well, let's run by the store and let's go get such and such. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, nope, I'm not ready. He said, what do you mean you're not ready to go to the store? And I said, I don't have my menu ready. Yeah. I don't have my list. Because I know, like any other mother, we go in the store without a list, and we're going to buy everything we don't need and more and nothing's yes. going to make sense when I get home. Yeah. And I'm just I'm much happier when I have a list, when I'm prepared mm-hmm. to write. And so I think I could stay in the kitchen most of the day just cooking. I don't know, I'm not a big baker baker, but I love to just cook food for people. Um so I'm a list maker and a lot of those recipes again that I have in my recipe book they're not only were shared back in the day in my childhood, but I still have those menus and those recipes created nowadays at my table. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just think that that's a special time in my life. Um, an embarrassing moment, gosh, I don't really remember embarrassing moments. I guess, I don't know, because I just flow with things and I just forget things. <laughs> I don't know why, but I guess well, since we've been here, we had some family and friends up. And I was cooking, I believe it was a pork roast. And I felt like it was getting too dry, or maybe it was burning a little bit. So I thought, oh, just add a little water to it, and it'll be fine. Well, as soon as I poured water over it from the oven, I knew what was going to happen. I mean, I (laughs) knew that you cannot add water to a hot dish. Yeah. And I just waited. I shut the oven, and that pan exploded in the oven. Glass shattered everywhere. Oh, my goodness. And, of course, dinner was ruined. We laughed about it. I got ridiculed for it, for ruining dinner. You know, but we all went out. We had a good time. But it's just those moments in life that you just, you grow from, you adapt from. And no one was hurt during that <laughs> reenactment, <laughs> but um, nor and, but it was ruined. But we were okay. We had a good time. Um, so it's just those times in life that you've just got to, um, you just find out what your loves are. And I think it, it just forms who we are. That's good. Uh, one thing that someone listening would not know is that every single time that we've visited your home, it's not just been us and y'all at the table. You, you do have, of course, three, three adult kids. And, um, so, you know, a lot of times different ones have been there, but, you almost always have someone else staying with you um, or visiting for a few days or a few nights or even just coming for the food. And I just want to ask you to share some of your heart, um, y'all's heart, because of course your husband has to agree to it, you know, (laughs) y'all's heart that y'all open up y'all's home in that way. Well, that is a very true statement. Um, We constantly have guests in our home, uh, aside from just our family, um, but again, it's what we do. We serve. Whether um, teaching while serving, grooming them while we're serving, or just given a place to stay, we incorporate our family, our life. It becomes their life. Therefore, we're serving. 
my husband's always had a statement and we try to live by it. Uh, he always says, I always try to give something away every day. And at first I was like, wait a minute, what are you giving away? Like, you haven't told me these things because we think of tangible things. Right. We think of things that we physically give to people. But I think if everybody could get a hold of that at some point, you're you're giving something away anyway. So why not make it memorable to you? And so that's what we can give. You know, you can give away your time. You can give your love. You can give your efforts, your talent. Yeah, you can give money and you can give tangible things. Right. And sometimes when we give money or tangible things, that makes more of a lasting impact on us because sometimes we may not have room to give away those things, but we choose to do because we know we want to benefit somebody else. Um, The first time we ever had somebody come to live with us, in my recollection, was when we were first married, sometime right after 1993. We lived in a little bitty duplex, 800 square feet, And I think it's a little bit bigger maybe than the evangelist quarters that you're in now. And so if you can imagine, it was a two-bedroom, one bath, a little living room, a window unit, eating kitchen, and a little utility room. And we loved that little place. I couldn't imagine any place else. Everybody had given us furniture. (laughs) We, at one point, didn't even have carpet on the floor. We had concrete floors. We had a milk crate for our nightstand. But we had the best life. Yeah. And I don't even remember if it was during that time or how long we were married. But we had um, an individual come to stay with us. He was a foreign exchange student. I don't know how it came across to us, but um, my husband invited him into our home. And I agreed. And I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to do. But I knew what I could do is... I can cook and we can provide for him. He attended public school and he was there for schooling purposes. Um, because back in the day, a lot of people uh, people came over from overseas to attend school here in America. So we allowed this Finnish student to live with us. And I believe the connection was he did attend um, somewhat of a denominal Pentecostal church um, over in Finland. So he attended a little Finnish church located near us. He didn't come to our church very often. Um, Off services, he would come. But because there was a language barrier also, he attended the Finnish um, church. But during that time, we got to love on that young man and develop such a relationship. And because of that, we are still connected with him. Thank goodness for social media, because so many times we had to write letters back and forth when he first left us left us to go back to Finland and we lost contact for a very long time and because of social media somehow we got connected again and I'm not sure if it was because of his introduction to us um, or maybe his just love for the Lord but he is now currently a Pentecostal denominal preacher and he has a little family and he stays in contact with us and we are so proud of what we did back then because we took a chance on somebody. We took a chance on someone coming to interrupt our home life. Um, He is is now a great individual, and we stay connected with him. And so that is such a good thing. Um, I believe being youth pastors back in the day, we finally got to move into a bigger home. And that's the house that I told my husband, this house, this door has a double hinge. 
Mm-hmm. It goes one way and it goes the other way. There are constantly students, young people coming and going. We were in the Young Mary's department. We were constantly having things at our house. Um, that's just how we loved. My husband, he worked 50, 60 hours a week, and we would still have things at our house every single night. And yeah. during this time, we also had two small young children. Yeah. Um, 15 months apart which I was crazy for. Don't even ask me how I did that. I don't even know. Everything <laughs> is such a blur. I don't know what child did what because yeah. it's such a blur. Yeah. But we we did youth work. We did life. Um, you know, honestly, I can't tell you the nights that we had students on the floor um, sleeping over, babysitters for our children. Over the course of years, we've had family live with us. We've had families live with us. Um, even just some teens in life, maybe having a difficult time at home. Um, we were on the same page as the parents, of course, but um, living with us, students from Bible colleges coming to stay with us, and maybe just on the way back to Bible school. Um, we've had, of course, IBC students stay with us, Urshan students stay, up to 20 kids at our house. We didn't care. We're just like, are you want to sleep on the floor? Fine, you know. Yeah. So, we would have them stay. We've had interns stay with us, evangelist children. Um, sometimes we give opportunity. We try to think outside the box because sometimes evangelist children or missionary children don't get to spend time outside of their parents' time. Right. And so when your children get big enough, Cindy, I'll maybe ask <laughs> if your kids want to stay at our house. Hopefully we'll still have yeah. some at the house. But And it gives you guys an opportunity right. to maybe have a date night or spend time away and I think that's so important that you include the evangelist children into your home. Make it a home. You know, even though I don't have small children, you know, I have nieces and nephews that come to the house. So I try to have, you know, maybe a little basket of toys or something. And so I think it's it's always important to try to facilitate every age of life into your home. Right. And again, all while having three children, we've incorporated in this. And even though my two children... My oldest two are gone and married. We seem to fill the holes with people. Um, right. We don't. We don't care who it is. But again, we serve, and so I think that's the main thing. We just. We just serve. With all the crazy and a constant houseful, like you're talking about, and all your church responsibilities, I just want to ask you: Where do you find the time to get alone with God? And and can you share what that looks like for you? And what are some things that you've put into place? That, that you can have that one-on-one time with him. Goodness, Cindy, this gives me chills to even talk about this. I remember as a young child being alone with God many times. Um, I would lay in my bed at night, and as a family, I had a very sheltered, close family. And if we didn't have family devotion that night, um, for whatever reason, um, I sometimes I would hear my mother praying above my room. I was right beneath their room, and I would hear my mom um, praying. I couldn't always make out what she was saying, but when I heard my name, Heather, being called out in prayer, tears would begin to fall, and that's where I would begin to pray. I think that's just kind of what would trigger me, and my little pillow would be full of tears, and that's, and because of that, my love for prayer and touching God has been very important in my life because of life and my babies and just plain laziness sometimes. I, I won't lie. Um, sometimes our prayer life has um, changed a little bit. But just get back to the core. Go go back and, right. and find that time. Sometimes I've had to rock my baby and pray. Sometimes I've had to do it late at night. Just find that moment. 
funny little story. Um, when we first got married again, I thought we had to pray together all the time <laughs> and seek God together all the time to find God. Yeah. So I had a moment in time that I was frustrated. My husband didn't carry the same load with me. And I went to my pastor and I said, my husband won't pray at night with me. He says his prayer time's in the morning. And he laughed at me because he said, you guys are just like us. And I uh-huh. said, what? And because of that, you know, I had to realize he has his time and I have mine. And right. so, um, but I still think that's important. But we do get to pray together at times. But just to remember, don't ever put your Bible away. Don't ever put your devotions away because it may not look pretty in your decorations in your house. Right. Don't ever put those away. Have multiple things. Um, sometimes Bible reading can get a little overwhelming. So do different devotions either on your Bible app or different devotional books or different um, books that people have written and read them. Get bookmarks. Um, keep several things going um, that you can connect with God. Just find the time. Don't miss your prayer meetings at church. Find your corporate prayer time with your church. Um, ladies prayer. Um, Saturday prayer. We have first Saturday prayer here at our church. I love, love, love it. Um, just find time with God. I think that's so important. You have to. That's good. And you have, you have to be intentional with that, with that free time you have. So as a young mom, I want to ask you, uh, can you maybe share how it was because you do have three kids and they are pretty close in age. How was it when they were younger? How did you find, uh, you know, the balance between ministry outside the home and also, you know, ministering your, into your kids and discipling them in the home and um, all while trying to grow yourself and make sure that, that you, you stayed right in the middle of all of it. How do you juggle yeah. all that? You know, this can be a touchy subject sometimes because um, once mothers have their children, they tend to um, open a new box of life. Right. And we can't have a lot of boxes in ministry. Ministry is in one box. I know that's hard to fathom sometimes, but we can't have a box for family and a box for alone time and personal time and then a box for ministry and a box for youth. Um, It all is encompassed into one box. And don't be afraid to show your children ministry. It's it's a safe place. It's not a place to be afraid of. Um, This is no reflection of somehow do it, but I'll just tell you how I did it. Um, I never forsook the ministry or duties just because I had children. It didn't handicap me. Um, It forced me into doing things. Yes, I did miss some opportunities and things because um, just balancing three children, sometimes you're just not capable of handling them properly or you feel like you're going to be more of a distraction than you would a help. So you have to make those times. But not every time you're going to be a distraction. So you just have to push through. And if you allow let's just say your young people to love your children, if that's what work you're in, mm-hmm. you got all kinds of babysitters on your hands. Right. So you have to incorporate that. You know, my children slept on church vans. They slept in restaurant seats. They were at all night lock-ins. My children were present. They're present at firework stands. I was pregnant at 37 weeks with Alexis <laughs> the beginning of July. Yeah. And I had her at the end of July. I was hot. Yes. Um, 15 months later, I'm doing the same thing. I got pregnant again. Don't ask me why, but I did. Um, Alexis was in a, a, you know, a little child um, 
Like a pack and play? A pack and play. Sorry, it left my mind. And I was pregnant with Andrew. Yeah. But we were doing work again. We were doing work again. So I wasn't afraid. Everything from Youth Congress to Six Flags Youth Trip, sitting around the kitchen table with our missionaries and evangelists. You know, ladies, let your children be a part of your ministry. Don't run off into your corner or feel pushed out because it's it doesn't fit you. Um, but it does. There are benefits of allowing your children, your babies to be a part of your life. And because of that's what we've done, um, all of our children, again, are active in the ministry now. Um, they're in fact active in music ministry departments and have a genuine love for the ministry because I allowed them to love what we loved. I didn't make them afraid or feel like they couldn't be a part of it. And, you know, on the disciplining part, sometimes it does get hard. It does get difficult. Um, You still have to be boss. You can't allow them to be boss in what you're doing and take over because then you're going to become overwhelmed and you're going to want to step aside because your emotions are going to be broken down. So you have to be able to discipline, take them out, bring them back in, and repeat if necessary. You know, so it's an easy thing, but it can be difficult. Um, I'm a big supporter in my parents and our local assembly, you know, when they need discipline, you know, I back them up, I support them. So I think that's, um, you know, important to know that. That's great advice. Just making sure that your kids are a part of whatever you're doing. And sometimes as me in the middle of that season, it is hard sometimes to, to do that. But if you're intentional about it, um, it can, it can work and it can work for you and be a benefit to your children. Uh, just to cover all of our bases, I want to ask you, what about when you were youth or hyphen age? What's something that maybe you would do different in your walk with God then to prepare you for now? If you could change something, uh, what what would you what would you say about that? You know, Cindy, I've already mentioned about my childhood um, and my teen life, and you know, I knew I think God knew what I needed for now. And so I think he prepared me as a young person. And if I was anybody different then, if I pushed myself to be different then, maybe I would be general conference speaker. Maybe I would <laughs> lead the ladies. Maybe maybe I would be something more buoyant. But I think God knew what he was doing um, when he made me the way I am. And I don't know that I would change one thing. Yeah. I had a wonderful life. I had a wonderful protected home. Um, and when I say protected, I mean it was a very balanced home. It was a very safe environment. My my parents are still married to this day. Um, so it was a very um, open-armed environment for me to live in. And so I had a wonderful um, heritage. And I don't think that I would change one thing. Um, you know, I love, I love that you learned to serve then. And even though, you know, I've heard you say, I didn't come from a ministry family, I think... You did because you said your dad, you know, gave of his time as the church electrician and, and, and your mom taught you how to serve and how to, how to, how to love people in that way. I think those things did prepare you. So I guess you don't have to change anything because your parents very well prepared you for ministry as it looks for you now because they were ministry then, you know, we've talked about that. You don't have to have a title or or be over a whole department to be ministry, but ministry is serving others. Ministry is loving others, and they taught you that in their way, 
you know, in, in not having, not needing a title to serve, not needing a title to love, but just doing what was right and loving God and teaching y'all how to. And I think that's so awesome. And you've done that with your kids. So I love that. Um, is there anything that you would want to add to today? I just want to tap out with just one little last thing. And I don't know, um, it wasn't even a question that you asked, um, but I just want to say, when we first came to Smithville um, 13 years ago, I had said no to ministry for a very, very, very long time because I was afraid. I was right. scared. Um, I Sometimes I can't see the whole picture. I'm very visual um, when we're picking out things for a house or something. I want to see it somewhere else because I'm so visual. And so I get scared with the unknown with the uncharted territory. I mean, my husband could jump off of a bridge and just hope his parachute opens. I mean, he's just that brave. Yeah. And so because of it, I'm so reserved. And that's how we compliment each other. But one key thing that helped me, and as a young minister's wife or anybody working towards ministry um, and going to an unknown territory that you may be afraid, I just prayed that God would make me content, make me happy, where I was right now, not where I've come from, not where he was going to take me, but right now. Um, I can't worry about tomorrow. I can't worry about what happened yesterday because I can't undo it. But right now, if I'm happy in my right now, you know, they always say, if mama's happy, everybody's happy. Yeah. And I truly believe that statement. Your children, your husband can feel you, can read you. And so if I'm not content, I'm not happy A, your ministry, your husband's ministry is not going to be fulfilled because I have to find contentment in myself. Um, You know, I get a little um, mama bear comes out in me when people now and in this little town say they don't like this or that about the town, you know, how Facebook does and social media. And boy, I just get so defensive because we love our town. We love the people in this town. And I believe if you don't love what you do, you're not going to see the fulfillment that God has for you because we're not content in our heart. We're not willing to just flow with what is coming next. And so if I could just encourage somebody, just find that level of contentment. Don't fight against it. Don't go against the grain. Just find that level of contentment and know that God's got this. And God, no matter what stage of life you're in, whether beginning or you're going to find your end or you're right in the middle of it and you're overwhelmed and frustrated, just find contentment. Just be happy with who you are and where you are right now. So good. Uh, We will end with that. Um, Next episode, I will be doing an interview with Brooklyn Smith from Walkerton, Indiana. You don't want to miss it. Um, As always, I'll just say, uh, go ahead and share this podcast. Leave a review or a rating on Apple Podcast if you enjoyed it. Um, That's all I've got for you today. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next time.